Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jerry Landman. Dr. Landman, she's a pediatrician. She works in Dublin, California, and she's affiliated with Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Now, in addition to being a practicing pediatrician, Dr. Landman is a mom, and she's a mom of a daughter named Lucy. We're going to hear about Lucy, and Lucy has, unfortunately, a rare single gene disorder, and Dr. Landman has found herself in the area area of science and research and working diligently to find treatment and a cure for Lucy. Dr. Landman, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's so wonderful to be here and be able to share Lucy's story. Great. Well, why don't we just dive right in? And um, I always want to talk about people's careers, but maybe, uh, Dr. Landman, you could talk about sort of, you know, what it is to be a pediatrician, but also a scientist by day and night um, in a rapid exploration for a gene therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, being a pediatrician is is a lifelong dream for me. You know, I always knew I wanted to do medicine and I, I love being able to help families and connect with them and shepherd them on this parenting journey that we're all in together. And it's probably because I was a pediatrician that Lucy got diagnosed as early as she did. Um, both in terms of noticing that things were wrong um, and then two, just really being able to advocate for her in the medical community. I think we've heard so many stories from other rare disease families of, you know, people who are reassured over and over. And that that's part of Lucy's story, too. Um, but being able to be a pediatrician and say, no, something's really wrong here. Please, let's do some more testing um, really got Lucy her diagnosis early um, and led us on this journey. Of, of also me being a nonprofit founder and vice president where I never thought I'd be. Let's, let's maybe tell the Lucy story. Why don't we get grounded in, um, for the, how old is Lucy? So Lucy is 16 months now. So she is, she is still a baby. And so mm -hmm. just tell us um, the, the story and how you picked up that she had a disorder and what this disorder is. Yeah. So Lucy had some concerns even as far back as prenatal ultrasounds. And, and I had a ton of prenatal testing that actually all came back very reassuring. Um, you know, she had some genetic testing from anamnio. She had a fetal MRI and everyone said, this is a normal variant. Um, and so she was born and she was very sleepy for her first two weeks to the point that I was calling my poor mother-in-law pediatrician every day saying, this is way sleepier than normal. But then she did okay. You know, she, from about two months to about four months, I said, this, this is a totally normal baby. And we were enjoying her and her two older sisters were loving her smiles. At around four months, I tried to sit her up in the boppy chair and I noticed she just flopped to the side. Um, and I said, oh gosh, you're not ready for food yet. And I tried again at five months 
and she was still flopping to the side. And so we, we met with her pediatrician who referred us to the neurologist. The neurologist initially said, this is, you know, benign hypotonia. This is something she's going to outgrow, do some physical therapy. And she did, she did some physical therapy from, from four months to about eight and a half months and was improving. She learned to sit up on her own. She was still super social. When she was about eight and a half months old, um, she got a little virus. I don't know if it was a stomach bug or a, you know, a head cold, but she just sort of fell off a cliff where she'd been able to sit up for 15 minutes before she was falling to the side. As soon as you sat her down, she stopped making eye contact and she stopped, she completely stopped eating solid food, just refusing it. And so we were really concerned and we went to the ER one time and they reassured us and sent her home. And finally, I sent some videos to her neurologist and she said, oh, okay, I see what you mean. Something's really off. Let's bring her to the hospital. Um, and so she was hospitalized for a couple of nights. She had a huge workup, uh, including you know, an MRI, an EEG to look for seizures, a nerve conduction study, uh, a spinal tap actually two spinal taps and all of them were again reassuring you know there was nothing that explained why she was so off her baseline but she actually gradually started to improve as she got over her cold or whatever it was um and so we left the hospital but we were so lucky that her doctor in the hospital was a neurogeneticist so someone who's trained in both neurology and genetics and she said you know these kids who fall off a cliff when they get sick, sometimes there's something genetic. Let's send some broad genetic testing. And it was a whole month later, Lucy was doing fine on April 18th when we got a text message from her neurologist that said, Lucy's genetic tests are back and I'm really concerned. Let's meet in an hour. Um, and I'll tell you, that's some of the hardest hour of your life, you know, well, you know, just uh, Dr. Lamon, I mean, so much of this story just seems um, hard and difficult. So maybe just to walk back a little bit, let me, let me also just say out loud how difficult I'm a mother. Um, and I didn't have these types of issues at all with my children. And it is um, very hard to hear this story um, as you tell it. And I'm, I'm sure it's hard to sort of relive, um, relive it and you're living with it every day. Did you, with all of that information, um, it must have been overwhelming. Had you not been a pediatrician, would you have been able to decipher it? I, how did you navigate? And it still seems, even though you are so well-educated as a pediatrician, um, it, it, it's, it sounds like it was also confusing during that time. Yeah, you know, um, I think as a pediatrician, one thing I know, and one thing that they try to teach you in med school is um, when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, just because they're so much more common, right? Um, and so I even wondered, am I crazy that I'm, I'm thinking there's something wrong with this perfectly normal baby? Um, postpartum anxiety and depression are very common in our world. And I had to check myself and say, am I just really being anxious about something that's nothing to be anxious about? It definitely creates a strain on marriages. My poor husband was like, everything has been reassuring, but then he also wasn't reassured. Um, and so, you know, I think being a pediatrician did definitely help because uh, the neurogeneticist who was on in the hospital that week happened to be my resident when I was a medical student at UCSF. And so she really believed me, you know, she mm -hmm. said, I, I know you're not crazy. And I think for other families, 
the the reassurance that you get through this process, but that feeling that something's still wrong is is a theme I've heard from so many people in this space. Yeah. So following following the parental hunch is um, and being very adamant about that is uh, it's something to get great advice for parents. So okay, let's go back to that really difficult call. One hour to go um, have a difficult conversation. What happened? Yeah, Zach came home from work. He um, hopped in the bathtub with Lucy because that is where she's always happiest. She loves the water. Um, And we just tried to make the minutes pass. And then we sat there and and Dr. Reshnikov told us, um, you know, Lucy has two bad copies of a gene called PGAP3. This was not a gene I had ever heard of before as a doctor or even a class of disorders I had ever heard of before. It is incredibly rare. There are less than 50 kids in the world with Lucy's disorder. And we were basically told she likely wouldn't walk or talk and that she was likely to be severely disabled and probably develop refractory seizures, meaning like very difficult to treat seizures sometime in childhood. And we just looked at this baby in front of us who was like, you know, standing next to our coffee table and grinning at us. And we were like, no, this is wrong. You know, I denial is definitely the first stage of grief. And we, we left the call saying you got it wrong this time. Mm -hmm. Um, but we stayed up and we read all night. We read every paper on it. We could get our hands on. Um, and by morning we, we knew that the diagnosis was the right diagnosis and that the subtle signs were there. And so we took a week uh, and we went on lots of hikes. Um, We, you know, snuggled Lucy. We found sort of an age appropriate way to tell her sisters. And then we were just sitting in bed one day and Zach looked at me and he said, you know, we can't cry forever. Um, And I said, you're absolutely right. We live in the Bay Area in 2022. We've both trained at some of the best institutions in America for medicine if anyone can change Lucy's story and change the story for other kids like this, who, you know, we don't want any parent to be told there are no treatments and no cures, go home and sort of hug your baby. Um, if that was, that was the advice, that was the guidance you received that there was just nothing that could be done. It was rather just treat the symptoms was the only, um, opportunity you had. Yes. And it's, you know, I, I love our neurologist. I, she wasn't wrong. That was mm-hmm. true in April. You know, there were, while there were a few labs in the world who were looking at this class of disorders, no one was looking at therapies. No one was focusing on treatments because it's so rare. Um, and so, you know, it, it often takes a patient advocacy organization, parents and families of, of these patients to say, hey, can we get some research on, on some therapies here? Um, and that's, that's kind of what we're doing. So we founded a nonprofit called Moonshots for Unicorns named because, you know, we know that curing these rare diseases, gene therapy is, is a budding science that holds so much promise. And so does CRISPR and other modalities like that. Um, and we said, this is probably a moonshot that we can find this, but we're very well situated to, to take that moonshot. Um, and you know, all these kids are our unicorns. They're they're magical. They transform families, and they're very unique um, in that way. So so we didn't just want to focus on PGAP three. Um, obviously, that's what we're focusing on first. Um, but after we we work on PGAP three, we just want to help so many of these single gene disorders because while you know each of them are 
are individually rare. There are 10,000 single gene disorders. Almost 1% of the population is affected by something to do with a single gene. Um, and so I think the impact here could be really huge. Well, the state of play for rare diseases, it is certainly evolving. I was speaking with Dr. Amy Abernathy from Verily um, recently on Inspiring Women, and there certainly is progress, and there's progress with technology and everything else, yet the reality is um, there's diagnoses like Lucy's, and uh, those, those are on a clock that the science and technology might not be ready for at this point in time. So what's the state of play for rare diseases? from uh, from being the mother and now the um, you know the founder of this nonprofit that you're seeing in terms of where is their promise and what does moonshot for unicorns actually focus on yeah great question so I think when you receive a diagnosis like this scientifically there's sort of like three buckets of things you can do you can go the the supplement you know um, uh, kind of vitamins and minerals and see if that helps you route. Those are all FDA approved already. They're generally pretty safe. Um, you can go the drug repurposing route, meaning um, you basically take other organisms that can have the same mutation in them like yeast or zebrafish or, you know, flies and try to give those a whole battery of medications that already exist out there and see if it improves how they behave or how they grow. Um, and then there's gene therapy, which is the most expensive bucket, um, but probably the one that holds the most promise right now. And so the idea of gene therapy is Lucy is literally just missing one good copy of a gene. All you need is one to be um, to be sort of neurotypical in that way. Um, and what gene therapy does is it puts the normal human gene into a harmless virus. And then you infect the baby with the harmless virus, probably into their you know, central nervous system with like a spinal tap or something like that. And the virus infects each and every one of their neurons um, as much as possible and gives them a good copy of the gene back. It is the closest thing to a cure that we have. Is, this, is, that, type, is that type of therapy done with other, um, you know, is, does it need to be a single gene? Has it been done successfully with other, um, other types of missing gene diagnoses? It has probably one of the most famous ones and one that is near and dear to my heart as a pediatrician is a, a disease called spinal muscular atrophy, SMA. Um, so there's a huge paper in the New England Journal in 2017 or 2018 um, that they put a sing the normal SMA gene um, back into a, a adenovirus vector, AAV9, and they gave it to babies. Those babies, SMA used to be a dreaded diagnosis for a pediatrician to have to give because the babies would slowly lose strength over the course of their first year of life till they were so weak that they couldn't breathe anymore. And most of them died before age one. And those kids are walking now, oh. uh, which is amazing. Um, and so there is, I mean, th this has a track record now of working for single gene disorders, but each one costs about three to $7 million to develop. You know, this is research, so it's not covered by insurance, um, obviously. Uh, and, you know, pharma companies, we've talked to a ton of VCs and, and pharmaceutical companies, even ones who want to focus on rare disease. And they're, you know, they're very nice and they care, but they say, unless you have 
a thousand patients, maybe 500. We just can't see a way that this would ever be profitable. Um, and so we just don't have the resources to devote to things like this. Um, government funding, you know, we actually had a, a amazing conversation um, a couple of weeks ago with Max Bronstein at the White House. Joe Biden is very dedicated to, to working on rare diseases, but the government is just too, um, too early in their process of figuring out how to help families with this. For kids like Lucy who need a therapy, you know, yesterday, as I feel right. with, with her as her mom and, and a pediatrician. Well, even yeah. if you had the three to $7 million, I mean, you, you, you are not standing by, you are not just, you know, being receiving all this um, disheartening news. How, what are you doing? What are you doing through the new nonprofit? What kind of progress are you making? Yeah, it's an exciting week to be on your podcast, Lori, because we have had some really awesome developments this week. So uh, within a month of Lucy's diagnosis, we'd reached out to gene therapy researchers, to drug repurposing researchers. Um, Zach flew Lucy to a lab uh, at Nationwide Children's in Ohio and got a, a skin biopsy done so they could start working with her cells. Um, and so Moonshots for Unicorns is funding work um, at Nationwide Children's to develop a gene therapy for PGAP3. Um, and that process is going very well. It is proprietary, so I can't share very much of the, very many of the details, yep. uh, but it is going very well. Um, and then the exciting news this week is the other um, avenue that we're funding is some drug repurposing work. So how that works is um, Lucy's gene is highly preserved across evolution. It's a very important gene, even yeast have it. And so you can actually, take out the gene from yeast or put Lucy's mutation into yeast and see what happens to the yeast. Well, it turns out they don't grow very well. You need this gene. Um, and so then you can have these yeasts that don't grow very well and you can try a whole bunch of medications on them. And we just got back this week, the first results from 6,000 different medications being tested on yeast that don't have PGAP3. And man, it was very revealing um, in terms of what kinds of medicines might help her. Um, medicines that already exist. That's what you mean when you say drug repurposing, taking exactly. a drug for something else and then um, either using it for this particular uh, diagnosis or like in a cocktail for this. Is that what you're looking at? You got it. That's exactly it. Um, and so on those original yeast screens, we have probably eight to 10 really promising hits. In other words, medicines or supplements that really improved the way the quote unquote Lucy yeast grow. Um, and the next step is to um, try them out in some mice and some mice that have PGAP3 knocked out. Um, those mice are gonna be born in a lab in Maine in November of this year, which I'm also very excited about because they'll provide an opportunity for testing both any repurposed drugs and the eventual gene therapy. Um, so progress is happening fast. It's less than six months from Lucy's diagnosis. And, you know, I, I could talk about the science all day, but I'll, I'll talk your ear off if I talk about the science all day. Well, it is incredible to just hear the amount of progress of those, you know, less than less than 50 children that have this diagnosis. Are there others that you're connected with that uh, other families um, that have awareness of what you're working on? Because I imagine that this is, you know, this promising work has got to be equally exciting for them. 
for sure. There is a Facebook group. Um, social media is very, very powerful when it comes to rare disease. You know, it's often five years ahead of the literature, at least, mm -hmm. um, in terms of knowing what the what the spectrum of kids um, who have the disorder is, and and being able to, you know, hone in on things that are working um, for different kids as well. For instance, we we talked to another mom whose child had tried um, a ketogenic diet. Uh, for control of his seizures on this disorder, and he got a lot better. Um, and so that was new information that sort of no one had put out there in the literature yet. Um, so yes, those families are all, uh, anyone who's connected on social media is is definitely aware of the work we're doing. Um, and we, for any IP that we own, we update them all the time and and obviously want to share and and make things as available as we can to everyone. I tell you, there's just, you know, knowing quite a bit about the, you know, world of privacy and privacy and clinical data and patient data and how challenging some of those issues are um, when it comes to rare disease or when, you know, organizations like patients like me or whatever, it's very clear that, you know, that all goes out the window when you're really trying to just desperately seek solutions um, and solutions that matter. It, it sounds promising and it is just incredible to hear the progress that you're making Dr. Lamman. Um, and I don't mean to be insensitive with this question, but with all of this and all that you're trying to balance while still you know managing your family as well as your practice, how are you doing? How are you keeping it all together? Yeah. Um, I confess that I am tired, but I am also energized at the same time. You know, I think a crazy thing since Lucy's diagnosis is that every single day is either the highest of the highs or the lowest of the lows. It seems like all the good news comes in one day and all the bad news comes in other days. But I I feel, you know, Moonshots for Unicorns has a real purpose and I've already seen how much it can help Lucy and other kids like her. And so that just gives me a lot of energy to, to keep going with everything. And, you know, I, it's funny when it hits you, like I, I talk about the science and I can be very, um, removed from things. And then I was having brunch with a friend the other day and she asked me, you know, how are the older kids dealing with this? And I just lost it in the middle of brunch. Um, of course, uh, but that happens less and less. And I, I have a lot of hope, particularly this week that we really are going to find some things that, that change the story um, for, for a lot of kids with single gene disorders. So it would be wonderful to change, um, this story and, um, no matter what it also is just the, the, um, way you're going about it, hopefully paints a pathway for just like you talked about moonshot for unicorns, which is not just focused on the PGAP three, but also other, um, single gene, gene disorders as well. And it's just incredible what you are doing while living through this journey. Dr. Lamman, as we, um, close out inspiring women, I always like to get sort of like best advice from women who are inspiring like you, but I think I'd just like to close this one out a bit differently. What do you want listeners to walk away from this conversation? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? Just hearing about the journey that you're on and Lucy's story. That's a great question. I think there's a few takeaways from Lucy's story so far that I think are really important. Um, you know, you asked about women and I, I think in particular about, in particularly about moms, 
Um, and just to say that when you know something's wrong, um, it's okay to advocate for your child. Um, and we at Moonshots are, are working on a project with both Invitae, the company, the genetic company that diagnosed Lucy and, and the White House to, and a few local politicians to allow for earlier and um, more affordable access to genetic testing. Because what's crazy to me is that Lucy had to have an MRI, two MRIs, an EEG, two spinal taps, and a nerve conduction study all before someone swabbed her cheek to give mm -hmm. this diagnosis. And it's only because we got her diagnosis at 10 months that we're so motivated to change her life story because we have time. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. We are very desperate for time, but we have the time to be able to do that work. And then I think the other people, the other thing I would say is, you know, this could happen to anyone and you never know how it's going to be until it happens to you. But I think that right now, unfortunately, in our country, the best way to help fund research for single gene disorders is directly through patient advocacy organizations, because you won't find anyone who cares more, who knows more about their disease, who's more connected to their researchers, and who's more ready to, you know, put that money to good use than directly with the patient advocacy organizations. So while I hope that model will change over time through government opportunities and more, you know, opportunities like CZI funding and things like that, that, that right now is, is really the best way to do it. So as Giving Tuesday comes up, consider that possibility. Well, Dr. Lamon, I appreciate um, you sharing your story. Um, I am thankful for your passion for what you're doing for both Lucy, but also for others and the affordability and access is so important. Just, just what you're describing sounds monumental. Um, so I'm wishing you nothing but the best outcomes and enduring energy to get through it. This has been an incredible Inspiring Women episode. I've been speaking with Dr. Jerry Landman a mother, an advocate, a fierce supporter of her daughter, Lucy. Jerry, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.